Welcome to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry, sponsored by Tech Help Boston. Today's story is about leadership. And being a leader is a lot more complicated than just being smart and capable or even having star power. Our very best leaders aren't in it for themselves. They're in it to solve problems. They're in it for the greater good. In the spotlight, a woman whose career has been woven around building and managing businesses in the leadership arena. Her own rise as a leader is inspiring. She's the CEO of Linkage, a global leadership development firm headquartered in Boston. In this role, she's responsible for overseeing the strategic direction of the company, whose 30-year mission has been to change the face of leadership including tackling why women rise slower than men do and why inclusion matters now more than ever. That's a tall order, but if anyone can lead this charge, she can. Her name is Jennifer McCullum, and this is her story. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thank you, Candy. It is so nice to be with you. Let's dive into the linkage philosophy about how leaders develop, because Over time, the company has amassed an amazing amount of leaders, a million leaders, to create what you call the purposeful leadership model. Tell me all about it. Linkage has been studying leaders and leadership for the last 30 years. And about five years ago, we took all of our data on leaders. And as you mentioned, about a million different data points, leaders and their bosses and their peers and their direct reports who'd assess them. And we sought to answer the question, what is it that the very best leaders do? And what we came up with was the purposeful leadership model. And it's really two different things. First of all, the best leaders are very clear about their purpose, their mission. We call it their personal why. They want to achieve something that matters. And they align that personal why to the organizational direction. We call that the vision or the goals. And so when you have leaders that align their personal purpose to the organizational direction, that's the first thing that answers that question. What is it the best leaders do? The second thing is they operate and fulfill what we call the five commitments. We'll get a little bit deeper into that. But at the highest level, leaders inspire, they engage, they innovate they achieve, and then the trickiest one, they become. And become is that inner path of leadership, that self-awareness and that constant evolution and the courage and commitment to become better every day. How we lead, Jennifer, really does matter. People need to trust a leader. They need to believe what they say. They need to understand their vision. So what I gather from you is it's not just one skill. It's a lot of skills. It's a lot of skills, and actually the reason we call them the commitments is because what underlie those commitments is a set of practices and skills. And the reason that's so important is because we don't believe that leaders are born. We believe that all of us can be leaders at all level, and it just takes unlocking that potential and that commitment to development over the course of time. You know, there's a book that Linkage is behind, and I've read it, and I'm a huge fan of it. It's written by one of your colleagues, Mark Hannum. It's called Become, and it's published by McGraw-Hill. It is a great read for anyone who aspires to become a great leader. So let's talk just a little bit about Linkage. A company hires Linkage. What do they get? The first thing they get is 
support against one of three areas that they should and most are focused on, and we help them um, navigate the path in three different ways. The first, as we've just been talking about, is accelerating purposeful leadership. What can we do to support the development of all their leaders? And we do that through training and development, through coaching and assessment, um, through consulting, and also through live scale, live conferences. We call it our Global Institute for Leadership Development. The second path could be around the advancement of women. We've also been studying women for 30 years and what it takes to truly advance women at the individual level, but also looking at the organizational collective and what does it take to advance women to create more gender equity. And the third is around inclusion. More and more we're doing research that really starts to link the role of inclusive leaders to leadership effectiveness. And our latest research points very clearly that the best of our leaders are inclusive leaders. So what does it actually mean in terms of developing individual leaders to be more inclusive and supporting organizations to becoming more inclusive organizations? Someone once told me, Jennifer, that the difference between diversity and inclusion is diversity is when you're invited to the party and inclusion is when you're invited to dance. Isn't that interesting? I love that. And it's true, Candy. Most companies have been focused for the last decade on, you might, you may have heard of DNI, so diversity and inclusion, as if they're one and the same, and they absolutely aren't. It's important to focus on diversity. We think about that as, do you even have the numbers coming into the organization, whether it's women or other populations, to create a diverse organization? We know that bringing people in and creating that diversity gives organization the chance to fulfill the promises of diversity in terms of innovation and better decision-making and higher levels of engagement and retention, but that is not enough. More and more, we're focused on, as you said, what does it mean to be invited to dance? What is that culture that you create of belonging, the culture that you create of everybody feeling like they can contribute and that their contributions are valued, and we call that inclusion. Now, here's the trick. It seems really fuzzy, but we can get it down to the incredibly practical level. And our latest research and assessment and development gets it down to super tactical. What are the specific behaviors? What do organizations actually need to do to become more inclusive? There are hurdles that women need to get past in order to get to where they want to go. In fact, Linkage says there are seven hurdles. Tell me about them. Linkage has been studying women's advancement for way longer than it's become popular around the last five to 10 years. So for nearly 30 years, we've been looking at what specifically does it take for women's advancement and what are hurdles or what are the barriers to advancement that potentially are specific to women that men don't face. And we've identified those as hurdles like clarity or making the ask or branding and presence or networking. So it doesn't mean that women don't have the natural propensity to lead just as well as men can. It just means that over the course of decades and centuries, because men have dominated the leadership ranks for so long, that women do face these hurdles that they themselves can support through development in getting over. And it's our mission at Linkage, not only to help women overcome these hurdles, but also to support men and women, leaders and organizations in creating an environment in which women can advance and thrive. You know, I've been fascinated to see that your research shows that as women, 
We start climbing the ladder, or as you've said, leaping over the hurdles, and along the way, we hit the cliff. This has been really well researched, and unfortunately, the numbers are not getting better. And McKinsey is a real leader here in, in surfacing this data year over year. And the most recent data shows that the cliff begins pretty early on. So as women move from their first managerial responsibility into the mid-management role, we start to see this drop and then a steady decline all the way to the senior leadership ranks where less than 20% of the leaders are women and then to the executive suite and CEO levels. And it is in the low single digits. I think it's actually five or 6% now uh, of women in CEO positions in the Fortune 500. The latest data that was surfaced um, uh, surmised that it would take nearly 200 years for women to achieve uh, gender parity, and it's even worse for women of color. Tell me, what is the vibe, Jennifer, at Linkage? How do you keep your people inspired during the pandemic? This is where we really tap into Linkage's purposeful leadership commitments. So I have found in leading Linkage, even though we've had to make some really difficult decisions, as many companies have had to make, I'm leading heavily on a few things. One is inspire. How do we look at refining and redefining the future vision and the future goals? And we're looking a little bit shorter term. So where we may have looked out three years from now to a picture of success, we're now looking out quarterly. The, the very longest, what will we look like at the end of the year in terms of shorter term goals? The second is engage. We can't do this with just a small number of leaders at the top trying to figure this out. The environment is too complex. So I'm pulling together 18 members that are people leaders and function leaders every single week to engage the best of our collective thinking. The third commitment I'm really focused on is innovate. We are rapidly redefining how we are going to win with digital pivots and reconceptualizing how we do really big things like our live conferences and moving them to innovative virtual platforms. Please support our sponsors. They make this show possible. These days, more and more people are working from home. When your computer breaks down, you lose business. This is Dave Elmasian, president of TechHelpBoston.com. Our tech experts will come to your home or office to fix your computer. Same day, next day, and weekends too. More than 30,000 families and businesses have trusted us since 2000. You can trust Tech Help Boston to keep your computer and systems running right. Call 781-484-1265 or visit TechHelpBoston.com. That's TechHelpBoston.com. It takes teamwork to put a weekly series like this together. I am so grateful to Jordan Rich and Ken Carberry for giving the story behind her success a home at Shark Productions. And to Dan Tebow, our editor from Fast Twitch Media. J.C. Valeris at Platinum Circle Media, who handles our social media marketing and so much more. Thank you all for making me look so good. I guess my next question has to do with the fact that when you're running a company that's all about leadership, and you're the CEO, there must be an incredible amount of pressure on you to be a really inspiring leader. So what is your leadership philosophy? I have to not only model what I know and believe to be um, the best of in terms of leadership, and that's why we have our purposeful leadership models, but also that I need to continue to evolve and grow as a leader. And I'll give you an example. When I started as CEO of Linkage a couple of years ago, 
about six months in, I said, you know, I, I actually want 360 feedback so that I can understand where I could be focused and be more effective for the team as the CEO. You know, when you ask for feedback, you have to be ready for it. And what I found was that I was scoring really highly in terms of an inspiring vision and innovation, but I wasn't scoring as high on engage. It felt like uh, to the team that I was two or three steps ahead of them and kind of bringing them along as opposed to all of us moving forward together at the same time. Has your rise been swift? Were there hurdles for you? Were there landmines along the way? I think all of us have experienced landmines, men and women. My rise has been more of a circuitous path and maybe broken down into decades really quickly. In my 20s, I did everything for the experience. I was living in South America, I was traveling the world, but I was in a profession that I had studied in my master's degree, which was communications and public relations. By the time I got into my mid-20s, I realized that my strength and passion wasn't aligned to my degree. So I actively started trying new things, and that's how I moved into the leadership and organizational development space by the end of my 20s. The 30s were more about taking really big risks so in my 30s, I, I left the Coca-Cola company and started my own consulting company where I could begin to build my skills and strength as a leadership development consultant first. So I was a practitioner. By the end of my 30s, I had moved back into a larger corporation where I could start running leadership development businesses. And that's where I started to learn the skills of P&L, the profit and loss management, and actually running a business as opposed to being a practitioner. And that's where I've spent my last uh, 10 to 12 years is growing, building, and managing ever larger uh, leadership development businesses. But if I would have started there in my 20s to say this is where I would be in, at 50, I never would have, <laughs> uh, you know, I never would have been able to draw that picture. What do you wish you knew, Jennifer, when you first got started? And can you pass that along to a woman who is just getting started in her career, who has big hopes, big dreams, big aspirations? In my 20s, when I started out, I, I put an enormous amount of pressure on myself to achieve uh, what success should look like, um, how fast should I rise, how much should I get paid. And I did make some mistakes. You know, I'm pretty achievement oriented and goal oriented and driven, but I probably pushed a little too hard versus taking a step back and, and realizing that testing and learning and failing, being disappointed doesn't mean that I can't start over. Our upbringing really does shape us. I truly, truly believe this. Can you tell me where you grew up and what was the message like in your house? I grew up a little bit differently. I grew up in Europe. I was a child of two American teachers while we lived in a German village. And I lived in Germany for 12 years. My mother was an incredibly hard worker. She ended up becoming a single mother and we didn't have a lot. I was really, quote unquote, on my own when it came to whether I could go to college, whether I could buy those Jordache or Guess jeans at the time were all the rage in high school because we didn't have a lot of extra. But what I loved about my upbringing was my mom never told us what to do, but just gently guided us. You know, if you want to do something, go ahead and do it. I'm not going to say no, you can figure it out. If we made a mistake, she asked, well, what do you think the appropriate consequence should be? I grew up very independently, but knowing that I had this cushion of love and support from my mother. My father was the entrepreneur and the adventurous one. So I probably got that from him. He started many businesses throughout the course of his life. 
my sense of travel and adventure and risk and testing and learning probably comes from my father. Where does your work ethic come from? I've got three kids now and I look at their work ethic. I think there's a piece of it that you're born with, but a piece of it that you do develop over time. And actually my work ethic has changed over time. Through my 20s and 30s and even my 40s, I, I did equate how hard and long I was working to my success. And as I get older, what I realize is I need to let go and trust a little more. I know enough. If I can get it to 90 to 95%, I can trust that the additional hours of work aren't going to make it that much better. Because this idea of what does life and balance look like? What are the consequences of too much work at the expense of other things, whether it's health or relationship with family, kids, husband? And that's been a, a more recent learning over the last you know, five to 10 years. You have mentioned that you have three children. How did becoming a mom change you? I think parenthood changes everyone. It was interesting because before becoming a parent, I thought I had this perfect plan where I created my job as a consultant to, to create more flexibility at home. And I said to, to my husband before kids, you know what I think would be really great is if I work four days a week and spend the, the fifth day with the kids and you work four days a week and spend a different day with the kids and then we'll get a nanny for three days. And it all sounded really good before we had kids. And then I had the first child and said, okay, I'm, I'm ready to go. And he said, well, gosh, I can't do that. I can't do my job four days a week throughout the course of raising my kids and they're, they're teenagers now is to try and create that flexibility that worked for me and worked for the kids without trying to be resentful of what my you know, husband needed to do for his career. Do you think that you are a better leader now that you are a mom? Did it change your style overall? It certainly has created a lot more compassion and empathy. And I'll speak as a, as a woman leader, but what women primarily deal with, and we're in an environment right now, it's a, it's a great example where women have been disproportionately affected by the COVID-19 pandemic because women, by and large, tend to be the head of household when it comes to childcare and home management, because I'm dealing with the same things about virtual school and how to entertain and, and take care of the kids. I've got a lot more empathy and compassion for all of my teammates, the members of, of our organization, as well as the clients that we're trying to deliver to. So I think that compassion, that empathy, and, and really the legacy, you know, what kind of a leader and mom do I want to be that potentially could be a role model for my kids and, and my colleagues. When an obstacle is in your path, how do you get around it? So in my 20s, I would have bulldozed through it. <laughs> I think that's one, of, that's one of the lessons I'm learning as I get older is that is maybe to soften the harsh edges a little bit. So I could tell lots of stories working the Olympic Games with the, with the Coca-Cola company in Japan in 1998. And when things weren't going my way, I might have become a little bit more you know, demanding and digging my heels now than I would do today. Going around obstacles now is really about engagement, going back to the purposeful leadership commitments. I've become a lot more collaborative, a lot more like stepping back and allowing others to step in than I potentially would have in my 20s and 30s. But coming around obstacles doesn't mean that you are, you know, that you're letting go of your goals. And even now at 50, I spend a lot of time thinking about what is it I want to create. I believe that great leaders are also great connectors. What role then, Jennifer, have relationships played in your success story? If I were to talk about anything, it would be the role of 
mentors, of peers, of girlfriends, uh, of support structures that, that I have created in my life. A couple years ago, when I was considering taking the CEO role, that inner critic, as well as my own internal bias, was, was saying things like, I couldn't possibly take the CEO role while my kids are at such critical ages and, and approaching teenagehood, or I'm not ready to be a CEO, maybe I should be a number two first. Through some really specific peer relationships and mentor relationships, I was really talked out of that, where they were able to really shift my thinking. And I probably wouldn't have taken this role had I not had those relationships. The girlfriend relationships, whether it's my monthly wine mama's crowd we've been meeting since our kids were in kindergarten, or a little bit more deep is our visionista group, where we come together and focus on supporting each other's dreams and visions and holding each other accountable. All of those relationships create structures for me to achieve the, the legacy I want looking back, but also how I want to move forward in my career and life. Best piece of advice, Jennifer, that you've ever received. This can be personal, this can be professional, and can you pass it along to our listeners around the world? I'll probably go back to my mother for this one. My mother is an incredibly spiritual person. She teaches meditation class many hours a week, well into her 70s. And she's taught me over the course of time to trust myself and to let go. So when I find myself worried or anxious about what is going to happen to my business, my colleagues, my kids, my family, it's set the intention for what you want and then let go of how you're going to get it. Final question that we ask everyone who's a guest on this program. I'm a firm believer that we do see our lives in chapters, particularly women, I think. Kids have a lot to do with that if we are mothers as well. At the end of the day, right now, what does success mean to you? Well over a decade or two ago, I identified that the strength I have and the passion I have aligns to my purpose of helping individuals and teams and organizations fulfill their potential. So when I look back on my life, when I look even forward to the next five or 10 years, everything I'm doing is aligned to that mission, whether it's supporting my kids and helping them fulfill their potential or supporting the leaders, our clients, and helping them fulfill their potential or fulfilling my organization and all of our colleagues and helping them fulfill their potential. That's going to be my measure of success. Jennifer McCollum, CEO of Linkage, thank you so much for being our guest this week on the story behind her success. Thank you, Candy. Thanks for listening to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry. This is a series with one goal in mind to shine the spotlight on women doing great things with their lives. We hope these weekly stories will motivate and inspire you. If you'd like to suggest someone for Candy to interview, she'd love to hear about it. Connect with her anytime on Facebook, Twitter, and her website, CandyOterry.com. That's C-A-N-D-Y-O-T-E-R-R-Y.com. You'll find all of these links in the show notes. What's your story?